and training people that gave me a certain warmth um, in my tummy. So, you know, whereas traffic jams and traffic queues can be irritating for people, I don't mind them. The, the rewarding nature of the fact that you are privileged to be adding value to lives of children you know living the little things sweating the little things celebrating the little things yeah those are the things that really make a difference thankfully teaching attracts a certain type of a person as well that is happy to give every child deserves a champion um to be able to add value to what they do and enable them to add value to themselves and to other people is such a rewarding um profession because to me, that's what leads to confident individuals. If we respect their own identity, make excellence central to everything that you do. Welcome to the Murabiyun Show, raising awareness of Islamic schools. School day, it's a long day, right? Yep. Early start, late finish. Which part of the day do you look forward to most, the morning or the end of the day? Um, I think um, all aspects of the school day have their enjoyment and challenges um so you know in the morning when i am in school um seeing the children arrive saying hello islam to people uh, meeting greeting all that sort of stuff um and um similarly at the end of the day as well you know the meeting greeting so i suppose the days the parts of the day where there's more people interaction are the bits that i enjoy the most and then um i do like the travel to and from school as well because it gives you time to think especially when you're stuck in traffic and as a school leader you need time to think and the day can be so busy that sometimes you can't even stop to think so the fact that you're forced to stop in standstill traffic is actually something that I don't mind okay gives you time to reflect catch up yep prepare yourself before you get into the house yeah, and just to, to um, on the way into school to kind of think about, well, just to be kind of a bit of time with your own thoughts. And yeah. similarly, at the end of the day, it's, it's a good thing to kind of um, sort of wind down and, and abandon anything that's hanging around in your head. Sure. So, I, so, you know, whereas traffic jams and traffic queues can be irritating for people, I don't mind them. You know, it's really interesting because... I've come to realise the value of actually being stuck in a car on long journeys. And right. if anybody knows me, they'll know that I, I do often do some regular long journeys. Yep. And it's about making the most of it. And so coming to you today, uh, this morning, actually, I, I took the opportunity to prepare, to yep. reflect, to think through. Yep. Um, so there's definitely value in these kind of moments. Mm-hmm. It's about identifying, you know, uh, how to best utilise it, right? Mm-hmm. So alhamdulillah, that's good. Yeah, it's making best use of what you have at all times. Yeah. It? Definitely, definitely. So, um, you know, mashallah, you know, uh, I know today's session isn't being recorded, um, but, you know, for those listening in, uh, alhamdulillah, it's a beautiful masala tea. <laughs> so what does Harun, uh, what's your go-to meal when you've had a tough, tough day at work? Um, what's the thing that you look forward to most coming home to? So I'm a total foodie, so all <laughs> aspects of food are welcome. Um and I love my other half's cooking, mashallah. mashallah. She's a fantastic cook. I act as a sous chef doing all the chopping and preparing usually, um, quite simply because she just is a better cook than I am. Um, but my actual go-to meals, um, <laughs> a bit of a joke within the family, but I actually like chips, mushy peas and pie. Um, so stodgy food, stodgy warm food. 
Um, that I don't mind greasy chips either. Um, the chip shop type chips. So they can't be sort of fries and, and, you know, they need to have their full chip shop experience. That would be my go-to. Um, and the other thing which is really funny, um, but if I'm ever abroad, the one thing I miss are Greg's cheese and onion pasties. Greg's cheese and onion pasties. <laughs> That's what I know for next time to get you then. Yeah, yeah. So they just sort my street as, again, a piece of greasy, stodgy food that, um, that has a bit of a kind of gives me a warm feeling in my tummy. There was a program that used to come on TV. I don't know if it still comes on, but there was, I don't even want to tell you what the name of the program was. But anyways, guy used to go abroad and um, he used to struggle with food. Right. So he used to always take a packet of Munster Munch with him. Oh, okay. Packets of Munster Munch because right. he knew he was going to hate the food. Are you a bit like that? Do you end up taking? Um, if, if, well, not if, when we go abroad, the key thing we take with us are tea bags because um, what... Uh, internationally people's understanding or perspective of tea is is very different to a British cuppa so we will take our Marks and Spencers tea bags or twinings uh, <laughs> with us because um, having in my early days of travel gone abroad and asked for a cup of tea and what you get is very different often to what <laughs> we anticipate in this country so yeah so the, the kind of uh, key things there would be tea bags I think definitely <laughs> Mashallah. And um, just to finally, just to end this segment, um, you do anything interesting over the holidays? So um, this particular holidays, we actually went over to Antalya. Oh, mashallah. And uh, yeah, we spent, a, it was a bit of a last minute thing actually. And um, I think I just needed to get away from the cold. <laughs> I don't like the cold. Uh, snow is beautiful to look at. Um, but I really don't like the cold at all in any way, shape or form. Um, and so I felt it was important to get away. So we managed to find um, a, a lovely um, place to go to in Antalya. We've been several times before um, and it was a total lazy break away from home. Um, and Alhamdulillah, before we went, we checked the weather and whereas it was one degree here or minus one or something like that, it was 20 degrees there. Oh, so beautiful. the complete contrast of temperatures for this time of the year was absolutely welcome and beautiful. I was going to say, you live in a part of the world where it's traditionally quite cold and raining, right? And yeah, quite yeah. windy. So um, I was going to say, how do you deal with the, the, the rest of the year? And is it just a Miserably. Bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Extra layers and just kind of remembering that obviously with... Um, with bad there's always good so uh, even though it rains you know obviously rain is a blessing from Allah and we wouldn't you know survive without water um um you know albeit <coughs> excuse me sometimes feel like being followed by rain clouds in this kind of area <laughs> but um yeah I think um it's always knowing that there's light at the end of the tunnel so at the end of the cold period comes spring and with that becomes you know greenery new life flowering buds you know so uh yeah always something to look forward to alhamdulillah alhamdulillah okay mashallah you've been in education now for the best part of what close to 25 plus years um in education itself um since 2003 so 20 years in education sure um but um longer than that in leadership Wow, mashallah. What were you doing before you got into education? Out of curiosity. So I worked in operations management okay. um, uh, for sort of large blue chip kind of companies. Um, and um, my role was sort of senior operations management. So managing P 
people's processes, systems. Um, it was a retail environment. Um, and as much as it had a certain buzz about it, it wasn't the most fulfilling or rewarding um, profession. Okay. So for that reason, I started looking around to do other things. And um, I tried a teacher taster course. Wow, all those years ago and here you are to tell the tale. Yeah, alhamdulillah. <laughs> alhamdulillah. It's interesting how certain moments or certain events that you go to just have a profound effect on your life and just impact you. Yeah, I think the thing that I found was that um, even though I did the job that I did working with people on a day-to-day basis and adding value to ultimately a company's profit line, um it didn't seem like it was adding value particularly to people's lives. But what I did notice at that stage of my career and my life was that when I um, got involved in things like training and training people, that gave me a certain warmth um, in my tummy and made me feel like I was doing something purposeful. And so to me, um, the sort of next thing was to consider what that might look like um, in another kind of context or environment which was teaching so um I, I i qualified as a professional trainer at that stage um but i wanted to do more and so went to the teacher taste course liked well initially didn't like what i saw actually because i i did it in secondary and i wasn't overly keen at what i saw at that time but maybe that was down to the experience i had in a particular school um and then um, my other half suggested that i try primary okay. and i went to primary tried it absolutely loved it because it enabled me to i suppose unleash certain elements of creativity that i had inside me and um the rest as i say is history um funnily enough then i went full circle when i actually trained uh, to become a head um i did my training in both primary and secondary oh okay. and that was really useful to be able to understand the two different contexts particularly as one feeds into the other anyway Sure. How long have you now been um, kind of a leadership, um, kind of head teacher type of roles? So my my background actually, like I said, is leadership, um, even from before coming into education. So from, I think from the age of 21, um, I formally kind of went into leadership, having held a team leader type role, went into management aspects of of leadership um and then progressed in seniority there but then when i um had my career change in 2003 and went into teaching uh, at that point then um i wanted to get a real good feel of what it was like being in the classroom um so obviously focused on being a class teacher for maybe a couple of years but then because I did come with at that point uh, a hefty sort of background of, of of leadership experience, the school that I worked in recognised that, and so I started then as my first middle leader role, which was um, looking after whole school curriculum, curriculum design, curriculum innovation, um, and um, that was probably two thousand and. Seven, maybe around 2007, 2008. And then from there onwards, I've held a succession of different leadership roles, starting with obviously, like I said, middle leadership roles and then moving into senior leadership roles, um, then working as a deputy principal for a number of years, 
then working uh, as part of that progressing into an acting headship role, um, then um, as a principal of a two-form um, primary school, and now as an exec principal that's tasked with um, sort of growth and strategy and school improvement. Mashallah, mm. Mashallah, Alhamdulillah. I can I can see the the journey that you've been on, and uh, and actually, um, it's interesting because often uh, leaders of uh, Muslim schools they they're always craving not for more in terms of title or status or such, but actually to have a greater impact and effect. And there's there's this burning desire to to work towards something, and we'll come on to that what that yeah. is for yourself. Yeah. But I mean. Being a head teacher, uh, a leader of a Muslim school, uh, or being a leader of a school full stop sounds very glamorous. Um, it seems like, you know, uh, mashallah, you've um, hit the peak of your powers. Um, but there must be some challenges in, along the way. Is there a particular challenge that comes to mind for you? Like something that sticks out during your time in headship and leadership, a particular situation that you thought, you know what, that, that's, that was really tricky and this is how I dealt with it. I think um, for me, one of the key aspects of leadership is collaboration and collaborating with other people, other organisations. Um, but equally, as part of that collaboration, there also comes a high level accountability as well. And um, it is a high stakes profession. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, should it be? Should it not be? Um, you know, that's a whole different conversation maybe. Um, but I think certainly the amount of accountability that the role comes with is quite immense. And I understand the reason why, you know, we're trusted um, or entrusted with, you know, managing children's um, lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And obviously with that should be accountability. Um, but I think um, sometimes the those elements of it, the accountability elements of it can seem um maybe a bit sort of um the too too high stakes i think and i think it's just understanding that that actually comes with part of the territory and in the same way when you asked me about the weather i said well at the end of the cold period you get spring and you get flourishing buds and yep. greenery and flowers and new life um remembering that that's one aspect of the role and actually, you know, the, the the rewarding nature of the fact that you are privileged to be adding value to lives of children. And of course, you know, the teams that you're responsible for, that outweighs the accountability and the challenge that comes with it. But yeah. Alhamdulillah. What's your, to date, what's been your biggest highlight and achievement in headship? What's a specific moment that comes to mind? Gosh, it's such a privileged profession. So um, I don't know if I can even think of, of. I can think of something that really kind of resonates with me in terms of feeling like um, making a difference. And that actually is back to my role as a classroom teacher, um, having acquired um, a class of children of which there was a child who really struggled to read. Um, and the school that I worked in at the time wasn't particularly well resourced in terms of SEN provision or assessing children's needs to the level maybe. So I had to sort of go away and do a little bit of research really as to what could be a barrier that was preventing this child from reading. 
and um, I managed to tap into an organisation, voluntary organisation that came and did some assessments and helped me understand things a little bit better. Um, but something as simple as giving that child a blue plastic overlay that she put over her book and the kind of her sort of being ecstatic at the fact that the the words were no longer jumping around on the page and very clearly that child had um you know sort of perhaps dyslexic tendencies that hadn't been diagnosed or recognized and the joy at which you know and 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 i think that's the thing that with teaching that you know it is such a rewarding profession you're adding value to children's lives on a day-to-day basis and the difference that you're making you know um so so you know perhaps something that may seem as simple as that but um you know obviously i'm telling you this tale 20 years on and and it's obviously stuck with me to this day yeah sure no mashallah that's beautiful it's the little things often yeah absolutely i think you know you know living the little things sweating the little things celebrating the little things yeah those are the things that 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 really make a difference What's been a particular low point? Something that, you know, um, maybe you've had to carry with you uh, at the end of the day coming home on that long drive home or just something that's just, you know, just hasn't sat with you? Um, I think um, depending on the culture of the school, sometimes the workload elements have been phenomenal. And that's why when I came into leadership, particularly within the senior leadership aspect, I considered it my responsibility to be able to break down some of those workload elements for um, the the colleagues that we work with and our particularly our teaching staff. Um, there's nothing like being a teacher from the good of it and the bad of it as well in mm-hmm. terms of the rewarding nature of it, but also the demands that it has on you and you know it comes with the territory and i think people need to understand that that there is an expectation that you will and do have to give beyond the school finish times in order to do your job well thankfully teaching attracts a certain type of a person as well that is happy to give um and um but i think the workload elements in my early days of a teach being a teacher and that's why when i went into leadership in education um, I wouldn't say I made it my mission or crusade, but certainly um, questioning why people are doing certain things when they don't need to in order mm. to simplify things for themselves and trying to eliminate workload wherever possible. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I've always seen that as part of my responsibility. Now, if despite that um, people choose to do additional and extra, then that's fine. I have no problem with that. But, um, you know, simple things like signposting people to ready-made resources, which are often written by curriculum experts, and then adapting them to the needs of their children. Um, In contrast to that, having worked in a school where there weren't any curriculum materials for anything. And um, that's not sustainable for anybody, really, Mm. no matter how good a practitioner you are. If you don't have a starting point and you're always having to reinvent the wheel, um then that to me is a leadership failure i think as leadership we're responsible for trying to make what is a difficult challenging profession as enjoyable and as 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 less workload driven as we can sure for sharing that with us um often um you know uh again uh 
there's something, somebody, a moment that usually um, has helped encourage uh, people to pursue their dreams and their ambitions. It, mm. you know, for yourself, is there anybody, an individual like that, who's kind of really inspired or motivated you, and continues to do so, really, through your through the journey that you've been on? Um, I think, as a obviously as a practicing Muslim, you know, the we try to emulate the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and you know, we look at how he took life's challenges and you know left us with a positive legacy through through islam and uh through the sunnah um so obviously i would always you know as a as a practicing muslim um who wasn't always a practicing muslim um would signpost the prophet as as the number one person and then obviously you know the sahaba and the the other prophets and messengers that allah subhanahu wa sent to us um I think within the field of education, um, you know, there's an abundance of people um, and um, there's a video by a lady called Rita Pearson that um, circulates on TED Talks and, um, you know, she's a lady who's no longer with us now. Um, but the video that that's on TED Talks is one of those videos you can listen to it time and time and again because it's timeless in the message that she gives mm. and the message that she gives is about the importance of human connection and I think that obviously on a day-to-day -day basis as a school leader we're, we're trying to deliver a certain educational outcome but that that educational outcome or outcomes are not just ground in the academics of um, reading, writing, maths, the three R's as we call them, um, reading, writing and arithmetic, I should say. Um, but it's that we are tasked with something bigger and larger than that. And I think if we recognise the importance of human connections and relationships, then I think um, it makes it all the more beautiful. Um, and... So yeah, so the, the 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 sort of the example that Rita Pearson talks about in um, her video, and I think the title of the video is something like "Every Child Deserves a Champion." Sure, um, but it's a really beautiful video, and uh, <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Um, but it always has the same impact. Yeah, it's, mm. it's it's something I would recommend to. For anybody who needs refreshing and reminding as to the purpose of why um, the school workforce does what it does, it's a really beautiful video and, and really inspiring to to listen to and watch. No, it's a fantastic video, and, and we'll add it to the uh, to the description as well. So, on that point, I mean, why do you do what you do? What's your driving force? You know, um, what what is it that gets you out of bed and wants to give? The, the level of sacrifice and commitment that you give? So I think, um, you know, like I talked about earlier, um, obviously I, I was privileged to be in a position of leadership um, prior to coming into uh, working in sort of the field of education. Um, but what I could see was that that field of educational leadership um, would give me an e would make, give me an even um, wider scope um, or opportunity to make a difference to to people's lives, and obviously at the um, chalk face, as we kind of say in olden terms, are the children um, making a difference to the lives of children, and 
having as a childhood, <coughs> excuse me, having through my childhood experienced some very strong teachers and the difference that they made to my life um, at, at sometimes quite difficult um, periods of my childhood. Um, I think that always resonated with me as something that maybe um, I would do in the future. I didn't quite see that through teaching. Um, I did sort of voluntary youth work and um, and that sort of thing to, to try and make a difference. But I think, um, like I said, just the whole privilege of being able to make a difference to children's lives, to people's lives. And that includes the wider workforce as well and the colleagues that we work with in schools um, to be able to add value to what they do and enable them to add value to themselves and to other people is such a rewarding um, profession. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just one final question on this part. Um, yep. And I know we touched on something earlier on um, that you were doing before, uh, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you, you started practicing, you mentioned, but if you weren't a head teacher, mm. what else could you see yourself doing? What, what, what would be that? What would be the ideal job? Oh, gosh. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm a restless soul, but there are many, many things that I enjoy doing. Um, and... Um, sort of certain creative elements of life are enjoyable to me and in many different ways um I, you know something in the future that i would like to be able to do would be to um write books um for children um so maybe if i wasn't working in the field of education the way i way i am perhaps being a writer um uh, particularly writing for children. Um, I grew up with the privilege of having a library on the doorstep where my house was. And so in between going to school and going to masjid, there was always a bit of an opportunity to go to the library and, um, and immerse myself in fiction um, and reading endless books. <laughs> so uh, that love of literature always came sort of from a young age very naturally as well. Um, and knowing the sort of um, the spark that literature can have to a person's imagination and creativity and just the ability to be absorbed, um, uh, you know, in a, in a really good text is something that um, stuck with me to this day. Um, I don't read as often as I would like to be able to. But certainly in the future, if there was something, then maybe a, a writer. Alhamdulillah. Watch this space. Watch this space. Yeah, who knows? Inshallah, <laughs> you, you never know. Um, all right. I mean, let's let's go on to and uh, get to know your school a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So if I was to ask you, Haroon, um, give me an elevator pitch. Okay. We've got, we're on that elevator. We're about to go up to the 10th floor, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the space of 30 seconds a minute. Tell me your school and what your school's about and what it stands for. Um, so I think, um, like any successful organisation, I think um, being conscious of the mission and the vision are really, really important. So the school, we're a single academy trust at the moment, um, and that means basically we have one school within our trust. And inshallah, we have aspirations for growth. Um, in terms of an elevator pitch, the key sort of thing 
for me to say is that we have a very clear motto. The motto is believe you can. And um, I think that speaks for itself. That's what we look to develop within our entire school community. So it's not just for children, it's for adults and children alike. And um, underpinning that motto is our vision, um, which is that our school is one where a respect for excellence um, in learning pervades all aspects of school life. So we believe that at every stage of a child's journey um, and an adult's journey, I should say, um, within our school, that excellence should be at the foremost of everything that we do. Um, and that can be, like I said earlier, the smaller things, which are just as important. So an interaction on a corridor um, should have excellence. So um, to see another member of staff or to see a child on the corridor, um, a simple but beautiful um, exchange of Asalaamu Alaikum, how are you? Or good afternoon, how are you? And to attentively listen um, rather than just kind of being like bystanders passing one another in a corridor, um, through to, to all aspects of, of sort of managing the school, the day-to-day teaching that goes on, obviously, um, all aspects of school life. Excellence is at the forefront of what we do. And um, that's underpinned by a key set of values which we aspire towards that um, are simple human values um, about um, life that we sort of amplify to to develop the the broader aspects of being a child or being a whole person um and then from an ethos point of view we have two main aspects one is our faith ethos as a muslim school um and the other aspect is that we use a high level of educational technology to amplify children's learning sure and i'm keen uh one day inshallah to understand the technology that you use Mm -hmm. Um, a little bit better because mashallah it's quite a unique trait and i know um you know mashallah you guys are certified by apple yeah in what you do in your training center as well so mm-hmm. you know mashallah there's there's i love the idea that you, you know muslim school is is uh in partnership with an organization like apple and leading the way for other non-faith schools to benefit and, and be supported which is fantastic so inshallah that continues yeah. um Arun, tell me a little bit about the people behind the school. Because, mashallah, under your leadership, under your stewardship, there's a whole team and an army of people. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the culture of the school and the people in the school. So, um, the school was established by, I believe, a local community organisation. And uh, there was a recognition within the community of Bolton, that particular area, that... Um, they wanted something that catered for the needs of Muslim children. Um, you know, bearing in mind that we're talking about um, a community where there are lots of Muslim families that live there and, uh, you know, a, a need to develop confident British Muslims. So um, so the school was established in 2013 by uh, members of the local community. And then that is headed up uh, by a trust board that is beautifully diverse so that includes people of muslim and non-muslim backgrounds and collectively our um, board bring a whole aspect of support and challenge to the picture to ensure that we are delivering the best we can for our children in in sight of our mission um to to ensure a respect for excellence uh, in everything that we do um 
then obviously there's the the senior leadership team that lead on that which is made up of myself as exec principal uh, we have an acting head of school um, uh, assistant uh, principals a senior business manager uh, etc uh, again all working together to deliver um, our our vision um, of excellence um, they are supported in turn by a team of specialist um middle leaders uh, and by specialist they all have a certain specialism so whether that's an academic specialism of english or maths or whether that's a specialism of um, spirituality or character development uh, and then that obviously extends to our teaching teams and our support teams and our you know premises management team and you know there, there are there are many kind of um pieces to our jigsaw at the olive tree that collectively um you know ensures that the organization delivers excellence on a day-to-day basis alhamdulillah and i'm guessing that people are happy to be there and there must be a good vibe and energy in the place and well yeah i mean i'd probably sound really biased um to say yes to that but the best measure for us is the the um demeanor of the children the staff and how external visitors um experience that and are left with a feeling for what our school is like and um it's not uncommon for visitors to come and to leave and to thank us for the great welcome and the happy atmosphere that they were provided whilst at the olive tree and again that comes back to our values um you know uh, we wouldn't be living out our values uh, as an organization on a day-to-day basis if people were to think otherwise sure so on that point if we were to able to ask a young person in your school how do they feel being at the olive school what, what kind of response would i get um it's not uncommon for our children to talk about happy they are with their learning how they feel safe how they feel cared for um and the the thing i talked about earlier about human connections um that comes through when you speak to our children um we have um every couple of weeks we have our junior leadership team which is made up by um pupil representatives that are elected by pupils themselves to come and join our leadership meetings to tell us what's working well and the even better ifs and um when we have external visitors and um, they act as representatives or ambassadors for our school and that includes um, elements that are um, sort of quality assurance measures like Ofsted like um, the annual external safeguarding audit that we get done mm. and um, the visitors will always comment on how these children feel safe um, cared for um, enthusiastic about their learning and the sense of belonging that those children have which obviously shows that fundamentally we are fulfilling our mission to ensure that they believe they can yeah. by believing that they are you know um, learning in a in a safe caring and supportive environment alhamdulillah mashallah it sounds like a a great place to be uh, if you're a young person you mentioned earlier on that uh, the school was founded by uh, from within the community in essence yeah. so it's obviously got its root deeply entrenched within the community mm-hmm. i mean what is the the vibe in the community with regards to your school uh, how involved are the community how supportive are they if i went to the local uh, masjid or i went to the local shop what would they say what kind of things would people say about your school 
Um, I think, um, you know, when people are not happy with something, they vote with their feet and they, they go elsewhere. And our um, sort of levels of attrition and um, volatility in terms of pupil numbers and families um, coming and going is very, very low. So I think just the fact that, alhamdulillah, mashallah, we don't have any concerns around those aspects or the aspects of pupil numbers um, and the popularity of the school. It's a really popular school. Um, and um, we don't have a very high proportion of, but we do have children who are also from non-Muslim backgrounds too. And the fact that families choose to send, you know, a, a family of non-Muslim background would choose to send their children to a school that has a, a, an Islamic faith ethos or designation again say something to me. um it, it, it talks to me about the level of community that we've developed and like all you know successful organizations we're very reflective and you know there's more that we want to do and need to do to heighten the level of um community involvement that we do and i think covid made some of that quite difficult really but um we don't sit on our laurels and we're constantly looking at ways to try and ensure that we are um, increasing our sort of connection with the local community, with parents, um, etc. Because again, they are fundamentally our key stakeholders for our school. Okay, so let me ask you this. If your school wasn't around mm-hmm. and it didn't exist, what would it mean? What would it mean to the people in the locality? Well, like I said, you know, we've got two elements to our ethos as a school, two key elements, I should say. One is the faith designation and one is the use of technology to amplify learning. So as much as COVID has enabled more schools to be um, more conscious of the learning environments they're providing from an educational technology point of view, for us, um, the technology is only as good as its use or you know how well it's used so the the pedagogical <coughs> excuse me the learning aspects that we um implement to, to ensure the technology delivers on 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 what uh, fundamentally are is our blueprint for learning um you know straight away you know that is something that's quite unique to our school environment we have a very clear blueprint for learning that's supported by educational technology amongst other things Mm. um similarly the faith um ethos side of things um you know we're not uh, an islamic curriculum school we're an islamic faith ethos school so we enable our pupils to develop as confident british muslims um recognizing that they do have a distinct identity as muslim children there are certain key behaviours or aspirations that their parents have for them. And as a school, we, you know, unite with parents to try and deliver that. Whether that's something just as simple as um, giving salam or the basics of, you know, saying alhamdulillah and mashallah to um, the, the whole aspect of linking our learning back to, uh, you know, the religion of Islam. So if, for example, we teach the children about what Christmas means for people of a Christian faith, we at the same time teach the children what the life of Isa al-Islam 
um, means to Muslims and 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 the kind of analogy or the difference between the two and what we are doing always in, is enhancing their learning perhaps beyond what they might get in another environment so we develop developing you know their understanding of life in Britain different faiths whilst uh, obviously supporting their development and their understanding of their own distinct faith and that's really really important because to me that's what leads to confident individuals if we respect their own identity whilst um, supporting their understanding of other identities and other communities it's really really important to their development so you know if our school wasn't there um, you know those are key elements that perhaps um, wouldn't be as prevalent within that community no definitely and I think it's really important that our young people are, are nurtured in a way where they understand the society that they live in um, and the communities uh, that we're within and uh, getting that balance right is is very, very important. So alhamdulillah, jazakallah khair for that. I want to kind of now go on to talk about Islamic schools in general. Mm-hmm. And I know, mashallah, you've got a, a wealth of experience, not just um, kind of working in and around Muslim schools, but also supporting them in, with training initiatives and just generally being a leader that, mashallah, uh, many of the uh, communities around the, uh, the UK can rely on, mm-hmm. alhamdulillah. So let, let's start off with this. What does tarbiyah mean to you? Okay, give me a definition of tarbiyah as you see it. Gosh. Um, uh, well, well, within, a, within a, um, the context of a school, um, what I would say to you about Tarbiya is that we, obviously the school, we have a curriculum and within that curriculum, there is a hidden curriculum and that hidden curriculum is Tarbiya, which is um, the day-to-day nurturing of, of, of children um, through helping them develop their character. And so obviously through Tarbiya, that's the way we do that. So whether that is through um, the day-to-day interactions, whether that be through our daily assemblies or collective worship, whether that be through um, the fact that we provide the children with the facility to pray um, and make wudu, um, whether that be through the fact that we link their learning um, to Islamic morals and manners, um, and or, or just, you know, the simple day-to-day living of our school values, all of that collectively, when you put that together, um, you know, is, is, is how we develop that tarbiyah of the children, um, having a very clear curriculum plan, um, you know, to, to, to enable that, um, you know, d- developing an understanding of the wider world so that they develop an appreciation of of, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation um, in every aspect, be that nature, be that people who are less fortunate. Um, so, yeah, not a simple answer. Not a simple answer, <laughs> but to be honest with you, uh, there's so much involved when you're nurturing somebody that it's never going to be a simple answer, right? It's going to be full of a lot of different facets and elements to it. But, you know, I love asking leaders uh, what their view and perspective of it is because it kind of nicely leads on to my, my next question around what is an Islamic school, mm. you know? Um, and, and it seems like a, a common theme is that Tarbiya is at the heart of it. Mm. So for you, like, how would you define us living in the UK, you know, ha, ha, what is an Islamic school? What does it mean to, for a child to go to an Islamic school? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think, you know, just going back to 
your question about Tarbiya per se. Um, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a vast uh, undertaking and it's one that is open-ended. Um, and um, obviously, as, as, um, as, as Muslims, we bring back what we do to the life of the Prophet and his, and his companions. So if you were asking me, you know, the definition of what is an Islamic school, well, to me, an Islamic school is a school that obviously... Um, you know, raises that awareness and that understanding and that encouragement of life um, according to the Quran and the Sunnah. So, you know, and, and bringing it back to fundamentally an, an awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the best way that we can, um, because fundamentally at the head of our sort of religion or our five pillars is uh, la ilaha illallah muhammad rasulullah so um you know that recognition of that um Allah SWT is one that um we don't associate partners with him or worship other than Allah SWT as muslims that's a fundamental belief and that we believe that the prophet muhammad sallallahu was his uh, final uh, messenger um and living our life according to that and for us as a Islamic ethos school then is threading that through um, you know our day-to-day practices and interactions at every stage as much as possible sure. um, whilst fundamentally then um, kind of reinforcing that or supporting that I should say through the delivery of the national curriculum um, which obviously prepares children for wider life yeah uh, and you know and, and sort of weaving the two together to the best of our ability within a, a limited time frame of, of, of you know sort of the time the children arrive and leave sure does that answer your question it does it does answer my question <laughs> I, I'm just um, people can't see on camera I'm just I'm just reflecting on what you said and I, and I think for me it's it kind of always leads on to the bigger question as well which is um if we can define what an islamic school is mm. um or we get an, an, an understanding broadly of what an islamic school is the question then is that is there a need for islamic schools here in the uk for muslim schools here in the uk do we need them well um look you know faith is a faith is a personal choice isn't it be that to have a faith or to not have a faith so obviously we live in a multicultural society of which there are people of different faiths and backgrounds and part of being british is that we learn to um respect and as the british values terminology talks about you know having mutual respect and tolerance so so is there a need well whilst there are muslim communities living within the uk um then absolutely there is a need for them and um the fact that we're able to fuse together um providing for those muslim communities or those muslim children um whilst developing them as confident british muslims absolutely there is a need for it because it's a, 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 the whole aspect of of leading any school and that's no different to a Muslim school or Islamic faith ethos school, is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to recognise the distinctness of that community and bring the best out of it. So if we're talking about communities where there are, you know, um, proportions of Muslims that live there and they are choosing to adhere to a certain faith within the confines of British society, then a successful um, Islamic faith ethos school will always deliver that and support that 
um, in the same way that other faith and non-faith schools do. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, looking at the recent census data, you know, with the growth of the Muslim population in the UK, mm. um, and, and actually, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to feel as though, you know, there, there, there seems to be a, a lot more of a um, kind of buy-in and, uh, for, mm. for the teaching of Islam uh, mm. amongst young people as they're developing. And traditionally, you know, how we would have learned, you know, reading the Quran, going mm. to the masjid and what have you, Parents seem to want children to have a b- greater, bigger understanding um, mm. these days, which is alhamdulillah, which is really good. Um, but but I want to ask you, I mean, obviously the vast majority of young people in the UK go to mainstream schools mm. that don't have a, a faith ethos as such. Mm. I mean, is it is it is it that is one or the other better or is it just, you know, Muslim schools are offering something slightly different, something slightly unique? Well, I think it's, you know, as I say, horses for courses. So I think if you are a family that chooses to send your child to uh, a school of no faith, such as a community school, then that's a personal choice. That school will still, you know, make every effort, I'm sure, to to, to bring out the best uh, in, in, in those children through their day-to-day delivery. Um for, for, for us as a school with an Islamic ethos, it's about doing all of that whilst recognising that the children do have a distinct faith. And so, you know, arguably, if you were to look at on the surface what our motto is, believe you can, uh, that's underpinned by, you know, the vision um, that I mentioned earlier, where there's a respect for excellence in learning that pervades all aspects of life, that's supported by... Um, six values of trust, peace, fairness, respect, equality and compassion. Um, you could be a school of no faith ethos and still deliver all of those aspects. Yeah. So in a sense, what we do is we have an additional offering whereby we not only offer all of that, but we actually offer, in addition to that, um, the fact that we recognise our children's backgrounds, their aspirations, their aspirations of their families, and we support that and deliver that in an environment that recognises that. So you talked about, you know, for example, uh, parents, and, you know, they, they obviously have aspirations for their children, and they may send their children to masjid or madrasa. We don't ever claim to replicate or to offer what the masjids or the madrasas offer, because that's the offer that the masjids or the uh, madrasas make that's their unique selling point sure. our unique selling point amongst the things that i've mentioned is the fact that we will support that so you know as a modern foreign language we offer uh, our children the 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 opportunity to learn arabic we recognize that those children uh mashallah on a day-to-day basis during the week will spend anything between sort of an hour a day to two hours a day over the course of a week um going to masjid or madrasa to learn about their faith but also to learn to read arabic but they may not necessarily learn to understand it now when you look at key research by you know uh, published by the likes of the british council and you look at um, how Arabic as a world language has um, benefits uh, in terms of sort of um, world development, cultural development, economic development, then the fact that we actually offer that as an additional um, sort of opportunity that they may not necessarily get in in another school, it not only supports and reinforces their parental aspirations, but what it also does is it, again, prepares them with 
uh, knowledge and understanding of a language that can have wider benefits to them, you know, as, as developing world citizens. So I think, you know, it's the case of that, yes, you could go and deliver excellence and many schools without faith do that on a day-to-day basis. I have no doubts about that, how hard school leaders and their teams work to deliver excellence. Whether they deliver that the same way as we do is probably Mm. debatable because obviously we have a unique selling point that we offer and we deliver that um, through our vision and our mission as as a Muslim faith school that uses a high level of educational technology to amplify learning. Alhamdulillah. Harun, what do you think are the biggest challenges for our Muslim schools across the UK? Generally speaking, up and down the country, the various conversations, things that you see, things that you read, experience you've had, what, what do you think you know, are the biggest common challenges or the biggest challenge that we have? I think if we were to go off what comes in the media, which I would always take as a pinch of salt, you've got elements of Islamophobia and misunderstanding that, um, you know, could be the central focus of answer to your question. But I think more importantly, I think the challenges that are faced by Muslim schools are very similar to the challenges that are faced by other schools, one of those being the the use and deployment of resources to do or to fulfill the mission of you know delivering outcomes to children's lives so i think the whole aspect of schools working together collaboratively and within the mainstream sector we talk about system led leadership or system leadership uh, whereby schools collectively work together to support one another in the delivery of of excellence um i think that's the challenge that's faced by muslim and non-muslim schools alike and so um addressing that challenge would be how muslim schools do work together to make the best use of their resources uh, to support one another whether that be through shared procurement shared cpd um joint moderation across schools you know um higher level networking uh, opportunities that bring like-minded people together um, you know at the end of the day whether whether it's a child in a Muslim school or a non-Muslim school or whether it's a child in Bolton or you know the east end of London they're still all our children they're our future generation so the whole aspect of schools working together to support one another um, particularly in a financial climate that we know is, mm. is quite poor at the moment um, I think the need for that is increasingly evident on a day-to-day basis sure and then if we kind of flip that and we said okay you know what are the opportunities for muslim schools moving forward i mean what's the what's the big hope do you think that we have um with if we had one eye on the future and kind of where are the services and the opportunities that our schools have well, I mean, you know, that that need is equally an opportunity, isn't it? So there are there are opportunities there for Muslim schools to work together and to work through uh, work with other organisations um, to, to, to to sort of um, collaborate, to join forces, to pool together resources, um, to share their learning, um, you know, and um particularly from a Muslim child point of view, being very, very clear about what is distinctly different about the life of a Muslim child to perhaps, you know, their non-Muslim counterparts. These are simple but really important lessons that Muslim schools can um, provide. And there used to be an old publication which um, 
was produced about um, the life of a, of a Muslim child in school. Mm. And that document is transferable uh, or a document like that is transferable to the context of a Muslim or non-Muslim school because it's just about what is life like for a Muslim child? Yeah. What's their day-to-day um you know um practices their sensitivities their needs and i think that is something that you know muslim schools again can collectively enable um a greater understanding of so that if you are um you know a teacher in a non-muslim school you are still then culturally sensitive to the child's needs by having that understanding you know and there are up and down the country there are schools doing a fantastic job of delivering mm. education to muslim children but they're not necessarily schools of a faith background yeah and i think but having an, an understanding of what makes those children distinctly different in the context of being a british muslim is really really important i think that's something that um again you know our Muslim communities, Muslim schools, they can sort of contribute towards a, the raising of awareness in that sense. No, definitely. Mashallah, that's, that's a great um, opportunity and great bit of advice, actually, that, you know, pooling our resources together mm. um, and actually um, trying to kind of uh, set some sort of expectation, some sort of standard as to what the challenges and, like you said, the opportunities are for young Muslims mm. uh, moving forward. And, and you know, our counterparts in the, in the mainstream sector, um, in schools of no faith designation, they would welcome that information as well. Mm-hmm. And they welcome that level of support as well. So alhamdulillah, that, that's really good to hear. Yeah, I mean, just, just last week, just as an example, and this is why, you know, I think it's really important for us to recognise that, you know, people are people and they're just trying to do the best job that they can on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I was contacted by um, somebody asking if um, I could um, go to a... Uh, um, a, a, a community school that's based in a predominantly white working class <clears throat> excuse me part of of the country to deliver a talk on ramadan and what it's like for muslims and so you know really kind of uh, outward or forward facing uh, of that school to feel that they want to deliver that within their school um given that they haven't got uh, much of a kind of population and proportion of Muslim children. Um, My response to that was, why do you need me to talk about it? I can send along a busload of children who will happily talk to you about what their lives are like (laughs) as a Muslim child uh, during the month of Ramadan, what it means for them. You know, and the schools kind of embrace that with open arms to say, gosh, yeah, we didn't even think to ask about pupils. You know, and and, and that's the thing, really. I think, you know, how, how we can kind of, work to support one another because like i said whether they are children of a faith background or not they're still all our children definitely definitely all our children so as we come towards the end i mean um you know if you were if you were to give any advice to your peers um about how we could improve our schools what would you say what would um, be the one? oh gosh me giving advice i don't know um i think um be self-reflective um know your school know your community um be clear about the purpose of why you exist as an organization um and try to equip your staff your teams your colleagues with the best skills and knowledge you can to deliver that um make excellence central to everything that you do and work in partnership with parents and you know external organizations collectively to do the best that you can to deliver 
excellence to those children because that's what they deserve. And um, and then, aside from that, to collaborate and to work with one another as Muslim schools and non-Muslim schools to work collectively together to um, use the whole opportunity of system leadership to support the development of schools and their communities. Alhamdulillah. Harun, Jazakallah Khair. Wa